0: You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning. You've got a really detailed outline in your program, and you're going to need it today because we're going to go through a bunch of information as we look at what it looks like to be in a circle and to walk through identity and formation and community and mission. And our identity that we've looked at is really powerful That you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God, whom He loves and with whom He is well pleased. And I just want you to breathe that in for just a moment that God loves you and He's well pleased with you. And if that's all you need to hear today, then that's a good day. But that's our identity, it's powerful. But we've watched as Jesus went from a statement of identity at his baptism to go on and then go into a season of formation. And formation are those experiences where you and I were tried, were tested, were tempted, and sometimes they're very difficult experiences. And in those, that is where you and I grow in our walk with Jesus Christ. And those are the times when you and I don't feel powerful. We oftentimes feel powerless. How many of you would rather feel powerful than powerless? Right? Almost all of us, where everything we do is try to project that we're powerful or that we're good enough, and yet life comes along, experiences come along, formative experiences walk into your life, and you begin to feel powerless where you were once feeling okay. Maybe you feel the most powerless when it's the first week back working out. Like you don't feel like your body tells you, you are barely alive, right? Because you've worked out and all that lactic acid is just killing you. And you're just like, yeah, way to get out of shape because this is what it feels like to get back into shape. And you're, you're barely alive, but but it's called sports conditioning. And you begin to realize that's when uh, I'm, I'm actually getting more powerful, but I feel powerless. Maybe for you, it's day two of a sinus infection and you just can't think straight while you're at work. Maybe for you, it's day three of chemo and you just feel powerless. Maybe you've had an unexpected breakdown or a disappointment in life, or or you were doing okay, and then that bill arrived in the mail, and all of a sudden, based on that bill in the mail, you just felt incredibly powerless. Like, I thought we were doing okay, and that was totally unexpected. And all of a sudden, you feel powerless. Maybe when you're sleep-deprived from caring for a fussy baby or watching 18 innings of the World Series. Maybe you're It's then that you feel a little bit powerless. Maybe it's when you thought you were doing okay, but then somebody who's close to you, they told you that you're incompetent, or you're insignificant, or that you're unimportant. You're never going to amount to anything. They ignored you, and all of a sudden you thought you were okay, but then you feel powerless. Oftentimes in life, we want to make a splash We want to have our work matter for something. We want to do something significant for God and in His kingdom. We want our lives to matter. And we want to make a splash in the world. But so often, we try to make a splash, and in reality, we take a splash. A couple, uh, about a month ago... So, uh, Kevin and Ross and myself, a couple of buddies here from church, we went uh, stand-up paddleboard and I was kayaking. So they're on their stand-up paddleboards and and I am uh, kayaking behind them and we're going up the American River in Folsom uh, toward the prison and, and uh, there's a place where the street crosses the whole river. There's a bridge there, but there's just beyond that, there's a place where the train bridge crosses the river. And sometimes crazy people will go out there and jump off the bridge into the river and what they want to do is impress all the people who are kayaking and stand up paddleboarding and floating down in tubes and on rafts and they just want to do something very public like this. I jumped off the bridge and look at me, but it's a long drop. And we were there and we were kind of going up toward the prison and we're getting toward under one of the bridges and we hear this incredible splash because a young adult had gone on the train bridge and finally just jumped off. And you know like when you jump off and you want to make a splash, but you get off balance in the air? Yeah, that's what happened to this guy. And so by the time he landed, he basically landed like he was in the sitting position, okay? So he didn't go in with his feet, like, plunging. He went, like, seated position. And we hear this incredible splash. And by the time we get up there, he's, like, climbing out of the bank, right? And I can't tell you the exact words he used, but he communicated to us that water had gone where water should not go when he hit the water from that height in that position, and that he wondered if we knew where the nearest bathroom was. I mean, it was just, he wanted to make a splash, but he took a splash instead, and isn't that like you and me? We hit these formative experiences in life, and all of a sudden it feels like something just took the wind out of us. Like it went badly, we thought we were doing okay, but then it went poorly, and we're not sure, like God, how can you work in me when I fell on my face? God, how can you strengthen me when I feel so powerless right now? And, These are what God calls a season of formation. It's a time where we want to feel powerful, but God's like, I am building spiritual muscle in you. You're not going to grow on the easy track. I'm going to walk you through these kind of things. It's called formation. The problem is, in our culture, we always try to project that we got it together, right? You go online, and everything you do is to preach yourself. You want to say, here's what I have. Here's what I do. Here's who I am. Here's what I got. These are experiences. These are my friends. You want to project out there, I'm okay. I'm powerful. I have some power in my life. But we know the realities of life is that there are times that you and I feel powerless. The trouble is we constantly inflate our ego. We're puffed up and at times trying to appear powerful. Well, Paul said to the church in Corinth, he took the opposite track. He said this, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. This is the Apostle Paul. He could throw that title around as much as he wanted. He could walk into and be in a a very elevated kind of position in the church, and yet he writes to a church in Corinth saying, we don't preach ourselves. In fact, we humble ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We serve him. And Paul is giving us a glimpse into the power that truly lives informative experiences, and he's no stranger to them. While Jesus was on earth and walking around with his disciples, at one point he sends them across the lake, and he's going to stay on the land. And, and we're given this picture in a number of the Gospels, but we'll look at two today. One is found in the book of Mark, and Mark is basically the memoirs of Peter. That basically would be like if Mark was interviewing Peter, hey, let's, let, let's remember what happened while Jesus was on earth. And that's where the book of Mark comes from. And, and it says this in Mark chapter 6, if you have your Bible, beginning with the verse 46, it says... After leaving them, speaking of Jesus, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn—okay, this is Timar right there—they've been— Working at the oars all night to make it from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. If you've gone to Israel with us, you can picture being on one side and looking across at Tiberias on the other side and thinking about rowing all night. And these guys are rowing, 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 but it's so hard because the wind's against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake and he was about to pass by them. I don't know if you're ever reading the Bible, but I think that's funny. Right? Jesus is walking on the water, he's not walking to them. He's about to walk past them. He's going to be like, what's up? <laughs> what's going on. See, guys. Is it windy? No, like he's just walking on the water, and they're terrified. They think he's a ghost. And verse 49 says, they cried out because they saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. So here, as Peter is recollecting with Mark the experiences of being disciples, and as he's writing it down, uh, I'm so grateful that we didn't just have Peter's word for it. Because there was something that Peter left out. See, Peter's like you and me. He's the kind of guy who wants to make a splash. But he ends up at times taking a splash. That he wants to do something great for God, but sometimes he falls on his face. And if you're like that, like me, you can relate to it. But we are so thankful for the book of Matthew because Matthew includes what Peter intentionally left out. If you look at Matthew, the same experience on the Sea of Galilee, Matthew is going to throw Peter under the bus. Okay, here's what happens Matthew 14, verse 26. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on the lake, they were terrified, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. We have some new information. "'Lord, if it's you,' Peter replied, "'tell me to come to you on the water.' "'Come,' he said. "'Then Peter got down out of the boat "'and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. "'But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. "'He cried out, "'Lord, save me!' "'Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. "'You of little faith,' he said, "'why did you doubt?' and when they had climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. You get in the boat, the wind calms down. We've been fighting it all night. You walk on water, Peter goes out there to you. Peter wanted to make a splash and not take a splash. And and sometimes Peter gets a bad rap for you know, going in, having little faith, and then falling in the water, and yet I got to say, he's got more faith than the other 11 guys in the boat. Wouldn't you agree? He's the only one, guy who got out of the boat. He's like, I see an opportunity here. If Jesus can do that, maybe because of my association with Jesus, I can too, and for a while he does. But then he takes his eyes off the Lord, and he begins to, it says, see the wind. Do you see the wind? No, we see the effects of the wind, which would be the waves and the, and the tumultuous water. And he begins to sink. And then he cries out to Jesus, and Jesus immediately reaches out and grabs him. But it's so interesting what Jesus says to him. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? See, we would say Peter's got great faith to get out of the boat. And yet what Jesus is doing is taking this formative opportunity to strengthen faith. And what I want you to capture and understand today is this, that when God, when you have fallen down on your your face, when you wanted to make a splash, but you took a splash, when you've had a setback, a disappointment, an impossible situation, a painful experience, that God wants to come along and say, this is a prime opportunity to strengthen you spiritually, strengthen your faith. You don't just grow spiritually by gaining more knowledge. You grow by gaining experience, and the way that we do that is through formation. God uses formative experiences to increase our faith. See, being in pain or being powerless will inevitably expose our immature, childish images of God. See, we might think we're doing okay for a while. Then a formative experience comes along, and it's painful. Now we're in pain. I don't know, God. Maybe, my, maybe I'm, I don't believe you like I once did, because this is making me question everything. And then you have another experience come along. You just feel powerless, like it's out of your hands. There's nothing you can do to change the circumstance. And God is saying, this is an opportunity to move you from maybe immature faith or beginning faith to more mature adult faith in Christ. And so on the table on your outline, you'll see on the left-hand side, childhood faith, and on the right-hand side, mature adult faith. The first one, if you have childlike faith, just childish faith, that's good Christians don't have pain or disappointment. And sometimes people do that, right? They accept Christ and think, this is perfect. Everything's going to get better. But that's immature because those of us who've walked with the Lord for some time find out that God uses our pain and our disappointment to make us better Christians, Because these test my ability to persevere and to endure, giving me an opportunity to gain some spiritual muscle. It is these experiences that make you and I cry out to God. We can't understand what he's doing, and they make us cry out to him and find out that even in those painful circumstances, God can be found. And when we cry out to him, he reaches and he grabs us. He doesn't remove the circumstance. He doesn't remove the situation. But he will walk with you and me through it, and that our faith can help us persevere. Our faith can help us endure. And he begins to grow that way. He builds a track record of trust with us. Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says this, speaking of God, he says, basically, God who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. He's basically saying this, when you and I walk through formative experiences, we experience comfort from God. And the reason we need to be in community and in circles with other people is because we need a place where our name and our needs are known. We need a place where we can be real with God and ourselves. And then once we're real with God and ourselves, we can actually be real with other people. And it's there that we can find out that in our pain, in our powerlessness, that there are others who have walked through painful experiences, that they have said, in that time, God comforted me in these ways. And you can say, well, if God comforted you, then maybe maybe God could comfort me. And we need each other, we find out that God uses our pain and disappointment to make us better Christians. He never wastes a hurt. Immature faith would say that God helps those who helps themselves. How many of you thought that was in the Bible? Because it's not. It's not in there. But we hear it, right? God helps those who help themselves. It's a slogan. But we find out when we walk with Jesus over some time, we find out that God helps those who admit their own helplessness. It seems backwards, right? It seems like, no, no, we should be strong, and then that will attract other people to become a Christian, and yet, no, what would happen is God is like, I, my strength is available to you, but I wait till you ask for help. When Peter started to stumble on the waves and he was gonna take a splash, did Jesus rush in and catch him? Like you do when your little toddler is starting to take a fall and you try to swoop in and grab them before they take a digger? No, it was when Peter cried out for help that Jesus immediately Reached down and grabbed him, kept his head above water, and brought him back to the boat. Jesus said this in John fifteen five of himself. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That our job is to be with God in community, that we're to abide with him, that even in our helplessness, that we reach out to God, God, I need you right now, I need you, and sometimes we try to suffer it out, and we stay silent with God. I'm just going to tough this out on my own, I'm going to tough it out on my own, tough it out on my own, and then all of a sudden you just see nothing but wind and waves and you begin to fall, and it's then that you show humility and cry out to God for help, and he reaches to you. His compassion, his love, his heart is engaged for you in that moment, and he grabs you and lifts you up. He doesn't just expect you to help yourself. Immature faith would say that God wants to make us happy, but mature adult faith says God wants to make us in the image of Jesus. What's that? He wants to make us holy, and it's beautiful because it's it, through Christ, our identity tells us that we have the identity of Christ. We are not a sinner, we're a saint. Now, we still live in a body of flesh, so we sin. There's a tension there. But we find out that God wants to use formative experiences to make us more and more like Jesus, more and more like a servant, more and more willing to serve his kingdom and not our own. And he gives us the picture when he speaks to the church in Philippi. He says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. One of the worst kind of ways to die. He's saying, Jesus was the model of the suffering servant. And we, sometimes you think, well, God wants to make me happy. No, God wants to make you more and more like Jesus, willing to serve him, to deny yourself, to take up your cross, to follow him. And in doing that, you'll find that Jesus is strong in you. Childhood faith says faith will help us always explain what God is doing and things will always work out. Have you ever heard that? Oh, well, things will always work out. Well, God's doing something and, and it'll just always work out. Well, you hear that, and it's almost as if you're saying, if there's an explanation that's good enough, then I'll be like, oh, that's why I had to go through this hard experience. That's why that happened. I feel much better. But the truth is, even if you were told what the reason is, you probably wouldn't feel much better. When you've walked with Jesus for a while, you realize as he grows our faith that faith helps us stand under God's sovereignty even when we have no idea what God is doing. I mean, there are times you have no idea what God is doing. In the Old Testament, we see a picture of Job, and God says to Satan, look at my servant Job, he's a righteous man. And Job's like, he's only righteous because you like, take care of him, and he's, he's wealthy, and he's healthy, and of course he honors and worships you, because look at that. And, and so Satan says to God, well, let me afflict him. And God says, well, you can do that, but you can't kill him. So Satan swoops in. And what happens is Job loses all of his wealth. His wealth is taken away. He loses most of his family. His kids, when he had many, were killed in a natural disaster. His health goes to rot, and he's at this time sitting in a pile of ashes, and he's taking a broken piece of pottery, and he's scraping boils open on his skin to let them ooze out. And his wife is just traumatized. She's like, Like, it just seems like God is against you. And so she comes to him and she says one of these great statements every husband wishes that a wife would say to him when he's in trouble and when he's in pain, she says, Job, why don't you curse God and die? One of those thanks, honey, statements. But in reality... His wife has just seen him suffer, and how many times have you and I watched somebody in suffering? And we're like, if I could just swoop in, and, and maybe even death is the answer to your suffering. And Job knows that death isn't the answer, that God's called us to be like a suffering servant. And Job says this statement, and I just scratched my head like, how does a guy say that in these circumstances? And he said back to his wife, Job 13, 15, he said, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Even though God has allowed all this, even though I have no idea what He's doing, even though I can't see how it all works out in the end, I'm gonna trust that God knows what He's doing. I don't know, but I'm gonna trust that He knows. And let me tell you, there are times, even just as a person, I scratch my head. I don't know. You know, I get a couple in my office and they're just talking about how desperately, as a young married couple, they wanna have kids. And they're trying everything. And they're trying medically and they just still can't have kids. And I'm going, it makes no sense. Like, God, honestly, like, if anybody, these two, I think, would make perfect parents. And I have no idea what you're doing. Why wouldn't you give them kids? And then I meet with other people who are like, we made a mistake and we're not married and we are pregnant and we don't want the kid. And I'm going, it makes no sense. Like, God, what are you doing? And here's Job who says, though God allows me to go through these circumstances, yet my hope will be in him. It's a beautiful picture of faith because faith helps us stand under God's sovereignty even when we have no idea of what God is doing. By the way, if you look at the left hand side statements on your table there, you'll notice that all those left hand side statements set you up to look like a hypocrite. Right? Look at these statements. Good Christians don't have pain or disappointment. God helps those who help themselves. God wants to make us happy. Faith will help us always explain what God is doing. Things will always work out. It's almost like this positivity that has no depth. And as soon as you have a problem, then everyone's going to say, see, you're fake. You're fake as a Christian. You're not a real approachable person. The next one would be this. The closer we get to God, the more perfect we become. Not true. Not true. Anybody who just thinks the closer I get to God, the more perfect I'll become. You've got people around you waiting for you to stumble so they can point the finger at you and say, you're a hypocrite, you're not even approachable. But God wants to mature our faith away from that kind of thinking to this, that the closer we get to God, the more we become aware of our own sinfulness. We know in our identity that we are saved by grace, that we are declared righteous through Jesus, through his identity put upon us. But we know that we still live in a fleshly body. And until we turn in this rental, we're going to struggle with the desire to sin. And so what's happened is as we get closer to God, we're aware of our propensity, the tension between our identity and the reality of our flesh. And so Paul writes us in Romans 7 about himself. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And the answer is it. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, his flesh, I'm a slave to the law of sin. He understands that until he's released from this body, there's going to be tension in his life. And thank you, God, that someday you rescue us from this body of death. The closer we get to God, the more we become aware of the tension and we thank god that he's the answer to our sin problem well immature faith says mature christians have answers and we think that that if we just get more information to lead to transformation but like we looked at last week information plus application leads to transformation and so it's not just getting more information When you've walked with Jesus for a while, you gain mature faith. And it says that mature Christians can wrestle honestly with tough questions because we trust that God has the answers. I don't know, but I trust that God knows what he's doing in that person's life. I'd want to step in and rescue that person from their formative experience. I'd want to step in and try and make it all better. And yet God sometimes saying, no, 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 they need to remain there because I want them to accomplish all that I want to do in them. I want to grow them. They need to stay there. And let me tell you, if you have a Messiah complex, man, that's going to be hard for you with your family and with your friends and with other people, because you're going to try to fix it all the time. And sometimes God's going to allow us to remain in a time where we just trust. I don't know, God, I don't have the answer, but I trust that you do. Paul is writing, and he's talking about that day when we get to heaven someday, and our eyes are opened up, and we fully know things, even like God fully knows us right now. But on this side of heaven, we only see a little bit. We only see a part. And in their day, when they looked in a mirror, it was like cloudy glass. It wasn't like those mirrors in the hotel room where you go, and you're like, I had no idea that there were magnification mirrors that could see inside my pore, like every little, you know, hair on your face. And I had no idea those existed. You ladies already know this. But as guys, we have no idea. until you go to like a hotel room, and it's not that kind of mirror. not what they looked at back then. Back then, it was just kind of a cloudy glass, and he says this. He says to the church in Corinth, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. He's saying, listen, we are going to wrestle, and we don't know it all. We don't have it all together, but the day comes when our eyes are opened, and the time comes when we're with God. Just like God knows us and knows everything now, the day comes when you and I leave this body of flesh and everything is wide open and revealed, and we sometimes have to trust what we do not know to the God who knows. And we make that choice when life is tough. See, telling a person who's going through a formative experience, hey man, just, just do a little more. Just, just be a little more. That's like cruel counsel. Counsel. Instead, we ought to tell that person who's going through a formative experience, listen, abide. What does abide mean? It means dwell deeply with God, like walk with him, drink him in, draw close to God while you're in this season, be restored, stay rooted, let God do in you all that God wants to do in you. That's the time when a person will wrestle and they won't know the answers, but they will choose to trust God who knows them. Immature faith will say good Christians are always strong, but mature Christianity says our strength is in admitting our weakness and our need for others. That's why we say we're a church of circles and not just a church of rows, because we need to be in those common experiences with other people where we can find out that, you know, when I'm weak, you come along and can help me, and when you're weak, I can come along and help you. In fact, Paul said something really unique. He said, here's how I've discovered the secret of contentment. And Paul had gone through horrible experiences. He'd been arrested. He'd been beat up. He'd been tried. He'd almost died a number of times. And this is what he says. He, he, Paul had this condition going on. It was a health condition. We're not exactly sure what it was because he doesn't describe exactly what it was. But he refers to it as a thorn in the flesh. That there's something that just, it just feels like something is going on with him and, and it's painful. And three times he asked God to remove it. God, would you please heal it? Would you get rid of it? And God's reply was this. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, he's speaking of Jesus. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, my power is matured in weakness. That's another word for perfect. It doesn't mean like perfect, like we would think it's flawless. It means it's being perfected. My power in you is being perfected in weakness. He says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You say, Paul, how do you do it? How do you deal with those insults and all the things we try to avoid? He's saying, I delight not in those experiences, but I delight in what those experiences produce. That when I'm in them, God's power is upon me and strengthening me. When I'm weak, then I am strong. Immature faith would say that strong emotional experiences are deeper spiritually. The more emotional, then the more spiritual it must be. But that's not always necessarily true. It might just be more emotional. It might be more emotional. It doesn't mean it's more spiritual. In fact, we're told all the time to balance spirit and truth, to worship the Lord. And we're to do it emotionally. Worship the Lord in spirit, but also with truth. Not just in spirit or just, there are churches you go to and we don't ever raise our hands. We're very calm, cool, and collected. We just sing to God and only things that are true. So they're all about truth. Well, good for them. There's other churches, it's all about emotion. What's truth? I don't know. I, we're just, we're into, this is a great experience. And God says, no, no, the place that you meet me in authentic worship, not just noise and not just mind, but is in the middle where you worship in spirit and truth. So immature faith would say strong emotional experiences are deeper spiritually. But mature faith says we test every spirit and wind of teaching as we worship emotionally and spirit balanced by truth. That there's that commonality in the tension. In fact, John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, he says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. When he's referring to spirits here, he's talking about uh, teachers, like it could potentially be a false teacher. So don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He's saying test the teaching and make sure it lines up with the revealed truth in the word of God. Not just all emotional, but that it's emotion based with knowledge. Let me ask you right now where do you need to grow? Do you need to grow in increasing knowledge of the truth of Scripture? Or do you need to grow in the experiential emotion of worshiping God? Because you might have lots of knowledge, but your growth area right now that God wants to take you through a formative experience is to drive you to your knee to get you in touch with emotions. And some of you are like, emotions? What are those? I'm not emotional, and God will allow life to bring you to a point where you'll get emotional with him. And other people, you're emotional all the time, and God's like, I want to move you from the realm of some emotional drama with me, an immature emotion with me, and I want to move you to truth and spirit together. So what's your growth area? Would God be growing you right now in emotion, or would God be growing you right now in truth? It's important for us to discern Immature faith says we go to church because our friends are there, we've got great leaders, we get something out of it. It's like a consumer mentality. But mature adult faith says we go to church because we are the body of Christ. We are spiritual contributors. We celebrate and serve. So we are the body, and as part of the body, we've got to do the work of a part of the body. And so we're going to go and do what God's called us to do. So one hour, we're going to celebrate, and we're going to be together in here, and we're going to worship God, and we're going to listen to his word. But maybe a second hour, we're going to serve and set the date by helping out kids or youth or other areas in the church so that we set the date for somebody to fall in love with Jesus. And maybe during the week, it's those of you who are hosting your group and you're hosting your circle group or you're teaching at it or others of you, you're you're serving in various ministries throughout the church, but you celebrate and serve. You're not just a taker, you're a participant. You're not a spectator, you're a contributor. So Paul says this in Hebrews 10, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That would be the day of the Lord's return. So what are we to do? We're not to be twice a month church attenders. We're to meet every week and spur one another on. We need a real reason why we need to be here, that if you're not here, you're missed. That if you're not here to do your part as the body of Christ, then something's lacking in the body, and we need you. And that's what he's saying to do. So as we move from immature faith, which is a consumer mentality, God moves us toward a contributor mentality. That's how we grow in faith. And sometimes God allows formative experiences for you and I to be created more in the image of Christ, to look more like him as a servant. That we say, I choose not just to be served and to receive, but to serve and to give. And it's there that we both receive and we give and we're fresh and we're healthy. Listen, Alan Fadling, who wrote the book, An Unhurried Leader, and has spoken here at church, also has written the book, An Unhurried Life. He writes this, God wants us to recognize that the hard training he takes us through is one of the best evidences of his loving commitment to us. I often assume that the hard places are a product of my failures, or they're an attack of the evil one. But God is bigger than my failures and the enemy's efforts, I'm not in the hard places because God is helpless in the face of their cause. He writes this, listen, I am in the hard places for my good and his glory. Yes, God allows us to travel to the dry places so that he can refine us. Isn't that what happens? You wanted to make a splash, but you ended up taking a splash. And God comes along and says, I want to help refine you. I want to walk with you in the middle of you, taking a great step of faith out of the boat. And as you begin to stumble on the waves, that you will find that I will come along and increase your faith in who I say I am and how I respond to you. That's what God wants to do. Listen, whenever you and I fall down, we fail. God always brings us back to identity. He doesn't bring us back to, let's look again at why you failed. You start looking at the wind, you start looking at the waves, and you just gotta stop looking at the wind and waves. Do you lecture Peter like that? No. He brings us all the time back to identity. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God, whom he loves, with whom he is well pleased. And God is saying, I am investing in you to create and move your faith from immature faith to mature adult faith in a relationship with him. So let me ask you, in what ways is God inviting you today to draw near to him in the midst of the season that you're in right now? If you're in formation, a formative experience right now, what is God drawing you into? Of all these things on this list, where might he be challenging your belief and drawing you to a more mature view of faith? Maybe God's just got you where he's got you because he wants to move you from one side to the other. And would you allow God to do all that he wants to do instead of just simply crying out to God for rescue, but you're like, God, God, develop me. Don't waste my hurt. Don't waste my setback. Don't waste my disappointment. But God, you bring good out of what, for any other person, is always going to be a setback, a disappointment, or a hurt. Could you bring some good out of that? And God always can. For those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose, that he works good, out of things that are bad. And he's really good at it. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, how many of you would just, just by being honest, would say, that's me today. There's some areas I've identified today that I've got to move from one side to the other. God's working in me. How many of you would say that? Just raise your hand all over the room. Yes, hands everywhere. And maybe for you today, even right now, you're realizing that you've never put your faith which is your belief, it's what you give. Faith isn't something you get, it's something you give. You give faith, Peter stepped out of the boat and gave belief that Jesus would keep him afloat. But maybe some of you today, you've never believed that Jesus could wash your sins away. You've never believed that he could rescue you from your past. And maybe today you wanna just say, God, I believe that you died on the cross so my sins could be washed away and you want to enter relationship with him. Well, what does he require? He requires that we cry out to him. And if that's you today, then you just pray a prayer. Even if you pray it just quiet in your heart, God hears you, he knows you fully. And you pray a prayer like this after me, just pray Jesus today, I give you me. I ask you to come into my life, make me a new creation. Would you forgive me of all my sin? and Wash me white as snow. I believe your death on the cross was done so that could happen in me. So today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.